Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Season 1 of Lady Startup, the show that is designed to take the mystery out of building a business. How are we going to do that? Well, by picking the brains of women who've already done it. I am Rachel Corbett and I am a Lady Startup myself. Three years ago, I started my online podcasting course, Pod School, from my lounge room in my pyjamas. Today, I have students all over the world and each week, I am the lucky lady who gets to sit down with other female on entrepreneurs to find out how they turned a random or maybe not so random idea into something that actually pays their bills. So let's get to it. My guest today is Jane Liu, CEO of the online fashion empire Shopo. Jane started the business in her parents' garage when she was $60,000 in debt and fresh out of another business that had just failed. In only seven years, she turned her humble beginnings of two shelves of clothes and a laptop into a global retail business, shipping to over 80 countries and turning over more than $30 million a year. That is part of the reason that she ended up on the BRW Young Rich list last year. Oh, and in her spare time, she started up the Facebook community, Like-Minded Bitches Drinking Wine, and that page now has over 70,000 members. So how did she do it? Well, let's go right to the source. Jane, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, did you ever think before you started this business or the one before that, that you could be an entrepreneur? Was that ever a dream of yours? No, not at all. I don't think I even knew what being an entrepreneur meant. You know, growing up, I only saw a corporate path for myself and it's literally all I knew. And so, like, I can't believe I'm sitting here right now doing what I do. Is that because your parents were very keen on you living the life of middle management and you sort of hadn't really factored in any other options? Yeah, absolutely. So my parents and I immigrated from China when I was seven and a half. And so they left everything, their family, friends, their jobs to go to a country where they didn't speak the language and still don't really that much um, and worked as cleaners and factory workers and everything and for their dream of me working in a safe job in you know middle management they didn't even want me to aspire to be the best because they just wanted whatever was the safest. You didn't tell your parents about the fact that you'd started your own business or even quit your job in the early days so when you were working in your office job did you quit because you thought, I don't like this job in particular, or did you realize that that kind of life wasn't for you? It's a bit of both because I based, I quit my job six months after coming back from um, nine months overseas. I was on exchange in Sweden and did a bit of traveling. And I also didn't go traveling to go and discover myself because I was just you know partying and drunk the whole time. <laughs> but I think it kind of like does make a subconscious impact on you. So when I came back, kind of start to question the status quo and I was just like, oh God, back to cubicle life for me. Like I can't, that mixed with the fact that I was terrible at my job. Like accounting is just not for me and you know, I've just spent three years studying accounting and finance and I was still terrible at it. And 
it's it's funny because th- this is what's wrong with the education system because I did great in subjects. I was distinction, high distinction for everything. But then come to practice, you know, I was you terrible. I sucked, exactly. <laughs> so then, um, and so it just doesn't feel good to suck at your job, obviously. But I didn't realize what an impact it would have on me. It was demoralizing. I hated work. I was walking around on eggshells because I knew at any moment someone would tell me that I effed up. So I think I used my first business, which I was running on the side, almost as an excuse to quit because I hated it. And I don't think I you know, fully believed in the business, but I, I was still kind of like naive and thought, you know, if I just worked my butt off, it's going to be fine. I will make it work. I've come to learn since then, if the business model is crap, it's never going to work. No amount of hard work will work. But that being said, I learned so much from that. So it was still like a worthwhile exercise. That side hustle, which became your business, was in a similar vein. It was selling clothes and you had a business partner at the time. What about that model didn't work, did you think? So basically we were selling emerging designers. And so the price point was a lot higher. Your average price was like three, $400 or more. But people kind of shifted towards fast fashion. I brought in a lower range of um, low price range of products, and they just they were selling like hotcakes. And I just kind of did it as a test, and that was the only thing that was making money for us. And also the way we were marketing it, we used PR primarily as our marketing tool, and this just hemorrhaged us of money. And also because it wasn't actually converting to sales because we were in a pop up store, you know, we were only open two three times a week in a specific location that wasn't working. Whereas, um, you know, online you're 24-7. Mm. Um, and then also, of course, the whole online aspect. So when I quit my job, I spent the first month taking photos of everything, every single product we have and building an online store. And so I made my first online store then whilst my business partner um, was overseas and there was still a business partner in Sydney helping me. When my primary business partner came back, she refused to look at the online store and she wanted to uh, fold the business because she she didn't believe in the business anymore. She wanted to go back and get a job and start working again. And she also said that no one shops online. This is in 2010. And I I firmly believe that online was a huge area of growth. So that's something else I learned. And also inventory turnover, which doesn't sound very exciting and sexy, but you know, when we had the pop-up store, we were just putting the same stock back into the stores every week. Whereas now at Shopo, we have over hundred new arrivals a week. So I learned how for the fast fashion model, people constantly need new injections. And, you know, we do a lot of like content at ShowPro, but I think your best story, ultimately what people care about is your new products and that's what's going to make the money. (laughs) How does that work in an online business? Do you bring in new arrivals and you just ship stuff out or or are you constantly adding to the stock that you have? Yeah, so constantly adding new arrivals and then we'll repeat in bigger volumes what sells well and then we'll design our own variations based on those learnings as well. I want to go back for a minute to what you were saying about PR because I think there's a lot of people that get into business and have such a wrong idea of how much of an impact certain PR is going to make. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the lessons you learned about focusing so heavily on PR and what kind of impact that actually has on the bank balance of your business? Yeah, so with the first business, we had three months of PR, which you know was a lot for a six business that survived for six months. And so we had so many press clippings, but 
But the problem is once they come to your platform, which for us was the store, it doesn't then convert to a sale. Without converting to a sale, there's no return on investment on that spend. So then you're just giving yourself on the pat, pat on the back and just coaxing your own ego. I think that's kind of why we originally even got the PR because it was a sense of accomplishment for us and we didn't realize, you know, you need to make sales in order to survive. So ultimately people, a lot of people think that if they go on the telly, they're going to be a millionaire and they might see a spike in their traffic and you hear these stories about how it's like people's website crash after going on um, Sunrise, but it's it's whether it actually benefits yeah. your business. But, you know, that being said, I think people sometimes ask, like, what sets Pro apart? And I think PR is something that we have nailed, but that's something that's been a slow burn over the last seven years. Do you think, obviously, that social is a huge part of that as well? Because that's a big part of your brand too. Yeah, absolutely. And, oh, sorry. And, of course, that's something else, like, that was massively different Previously with the first business, you know, we all pulled in some money together and that's why we had the money for PR. For the new business, I was in $60,000 of debt and I just had no money to spend into any forms of traditional marketing. So the only thing that I had at my disposal was Facebook. And when I used to work in my corporate job, I spent all my time on Facebook, which is probably why I was so <laughs> sucky at my job. Um, it's all making sense now. but And this is back when Facebook Organic still worked, back in the golden days of Facebook. Yeah. So I used Facebook to really drive the business. And now, um, you know, a lot of that's shifted to Instagram and that's really driving our international sales. Things have changed a lot since you started out when it comes to social media, especially with Facebook, where you really now have to pay to play. So do you think if you tried to grow your business like you did before, that that would be possible now, seeing as Facebook was such a big part of growing that brand in the early days? No, yeah, it would be completely different. I would be launching the business on Instagram. And the amazing thing about Instagram is you can test your product so if you want to find your product mix, if you don't have a lot of funds, put up photos of samples and just to see what level of engagement you could get. And from that point, you can build a community to sell to before you're actually selling the products as well. And then so Facebook is still great in terms of paid advertising. It still offers a relatively low ROI compared to other forms of marketing. And of course, Facebook video does work. So within our content team, Kel, who's my stage mom who's sitting with me today, <laughs> Shara and I, um, you know, make a lot of videos with the hopes of going organically viral. And so I think ultimately, if you have content that is engaging, that people will organically want to share, there's still room for that in Facebook's algorithm. What about this idea of a business partner? Because you had in the original business, two business partners. And then when you started Shopo, did you start it with someone, one other yeah, person? Yeah, I actually did. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think about that idea of business partners? Because with that first business, if somebody comes back from overseas and says, I don't think online's going to work and I want to blow this up, it's kind of difficult because you need people who are on the same page yeah. because otherwise somebody makes a life decision and you're left there going, guys, did, did, didn't we have a business? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of like married at first sight. It's like, so I think <laughs> getting into a business partnership because you can never expect what someone's going to be like in a partnership until you actually start working with them. So it's all fine and dandy when you're first getting started. Everyone's excited. Everyone's volunteering their time. Everyone's it's still the honeymoon phase, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like the your first relationship that we didn't really, you know, fully understand what we were getting ourselves into. But the girl that I started Shopo with, the reason why she left was because she didn't have her own business that was successful at the time. And Shopo was tanking. We went, at our most, made $22,000 a month. 
when she left, we were making $5,000 a month. So that's only two online orders a day. So you can't blame her for wanting to jump ship. So she actually opted to step out. Why was the why had the business changed like that? When we first started the business, it, it was unsaid, but it was quite obvious that she was going to be the ideas person. She had our contacts in the fashion industry. Like she had a lot of experience with everything. So, and I would be, because I was jobless and I had a failed business and I was desperate, I would be just doing all the work. But then I think after a year or so, it felt like it was, it was really unfair that we were <laughs> splitting everything yeah. and then I was doing all the work. And then I started um, the Pitt Street store running it by myself and getting the sole income from that. So I was focusing all my energy on that. She was focusing her, her energy on her um, growing and successful family business. So we were both just distracted and so kind of neglected the Chopin online store. And when she opted out, I guess it wasn't the money or anything. It was the fact that I had three ex-business partners. The first business failed and the this current business was a sinking ship. So had it failed, all of the failures would have come like been my fault Mm. um and so i just it was more of an urge to prove myself than anything and then once the next month we doubled in sales and then doubled again the next we went from five to nine to forty thousand to 75 to 140 and it just became almost addictive just to like chase the growth more than anything what did you change well the thing about having an online business the best thing to do is to change one thing at a time so you can measure the impact of those changes but i was doing everything i removed the shipping charge we started in google ads we started scheduling more frequent social media posts more prompt customer service better packaging i like made my mom chuck sicky sometimes to send orders just doing a million things at once and expanding on inventory as well You've mentioned your mum there and I do not want to miss the opportunity of talking about the early days when you quit your job and you still got dressed and caught the bus to work with your mum or to work to the city with your mum to pretend that you were going to the job that you hadn't told her that you quit yet. (laughs) How long until you told your parents what was going on? Was it during that first business? It was pretty much two years after um, starting Shopo. So there was one month of being unemployed and pretending to go to work. Yep. Where, so I, go, I would get up, put on my suit, um, have breakfast with my parents and they're like, oh, excited for work. Yeah, okay. And then... Um, <laughs> yes, because I'm coming back home later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah. And then I, I would be carrying around an empty laptop bag. So, oh, it was just really depressing. And I remember I got, I got a job at a, as a receptionist at a laser hair removal clinic and the boss there was just a bitch of a woman. And it just really taught me how to not be a boss, which is, you know, which is great. It's a good lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I remember, um, oh, this was one of the worst moments. I don't know why this bothered me so much, but I was working at reception and a girl a few years, three or four years below me at school, she's like, what are you doing? And I went to, I went to a selective school where everyone's just expected to be really successful in corporate and I could have just said I was at uni like I, I mean I didn't even need to make anything up but I told them that I was just filling in for a friend and then when she came back for her five-week oh. touch-up I was still there and I just like I, I didn't even have anything to say because I'm not I'm not gonna lie and I was just like oh my god and I, I just really hated myself then and I think that moment as as well as just putting on the suit and the effort of that and just the shame of that really pushed me to want to f- change and fix my situation so it was good that as a as a driver mm. um to kind of 
maybe it was good that I didn't accept my fate. Yeah. It wasn't until, so we already had our own warehouse at the time and we had half a million dollars of inventory sitting there and it's disgusting how lacking of confidence I can have. But I was looking at all the stock, half a million dollars of stock sitting there. I'm like, okay, well, worst case scenario, if everything fails, we can fire sale everything and I'll use that money to live off. Oh, wow. And I was like, so I think I'm ready to tell my parents. Oh. Like, <laughs> What was their response when you told them? Because it's not like you were just telling them and saying, oh, I'm going to start something. You actually had half a million dollars worth of inventory, a warehouse, a business, and something to show for it. Were they proud of you? Oh, yeah, they were very happy. I mean, so the thing is, my parents are just, they're pretty gullible, I guess. <laughs> because at this stage, they're already in the warehouse helping me what? pack orders. Oh, no, no. Who, who did they think belonged to the warehouse? They, no, no. They thought I, for those six months I was working. And then the next six months I was on unpaid leave. And then the next year was just unspoken for. So maybe they did know, but I wasn't still ready to tell them. So, like, I guess technically they, they probably did know, but they never questioned it. So I never told them. Because I do remember there was one point um, where three months into opening our first store – and I'm in the store, steaming clothes. My mom came in and, and she, she's not a bitch, but she was just kind of like, oh, you know, we didn't do everything that we did so that you could be working retail, essentially. Like, yes, you're working to your own store, but if you're not really, like we were break even, you know, so you're not, re you're essentially just working to make a retail um, salary. So that's kind of like, I guess that kind of scared me off from saying too much until we really had a lot more going and I think they were just really shocked that you know where I had that entrepreneurial gene because they don't but being an entrepreneur is being able to take risks and that's exactly what they did you know they came to they came to Australia thinking like everything's gonna be fine and dandy they didn't learn the language and they didn't really know yeah. what they were doing and they just made it work so they're life entrepreneurs in a way yeah like. exactly <laughs> what about this idea of bricks and mortar you're now online but you did start you had that store and then you had two other stores in, yeah. um, as well I was watching a video where you said that when you shut down those stores it was one of the best things you did for the business what, what are your thoughts on that bricks and mortar thing because the overheads that you have to meet before you've even put a dollar in your own pocket yeah sort of makes things so much more difficult I mean for us you can go to the effort of discussing a lease with Westfield like oh and then hiring in a different city setting up doing the fit out like the amount of work and mm. the risks compared to hey like let's just turn on some ads Facebook ads to Sweden <laughs> and boom you're selling <laughs> a lot more to Sweden you know yeah. it's just and hey oh we're not converting well for Sweden let's just stop running those ads like the amount of risk and effort that goes into it it's just you can't you can't even compare it and you know it's really funny like I, I, you can see how the mentality in the retail industry all from other people are changing because before i will go to these events and people will ask me oh how many stores do you have i'm like oh just an online store and they're like oh that's cute and you know their measure of success is still the number of bricks and mortar stores you have that's what um, i wondered whether it's a status thing in the fascist yeah. in fashion industry fascist like, industry. fascist <laughs> you fascist you know if it's a status thing in the fashion industry where unless you have a store you're not a real business yeah i mean i think definitely that that was kind of you know a mentality back then but it's it's really changed now um but i think there's some space for omni channel i think but if you have both and your online store isn't your biggest store 
then you're not pushing that hard enough. But I think for us, I can't imagine us ever opening up our own bricks and mortar stores again. If anything, I think a pop-up strategy would work. And I think the purpose of that would be to drive online sales in that area, not to actually make money through the stores. Your decision to quit your job obviously worked out positively. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen plenty of people jump ship and then go, oh... I've got a hobby, not a business. Yeah. Do you think it's a good idea to work up a side hustle to the point where you feel like this will be a success before you jump? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So that was, I guess it's kind of what I was doing because I had the side hustle. Yeah. I think it was more my measure of its success was just diluted. Um, <laughs> you know, I've had friends in the past who have just quit their jobs to work full-time on the business and like honestly there's a lot of waiting around when you're first starting a business especially b2b business because you're waiting to hear back from people until you have confirmation of a deal you're kind of just sitting there in your pajamas Mm -hmm. um and even for me there's a lot of work that could have done in order to not give up my job or you you know these days i think people especially big corporates are quite willing for you to take unpaid leave and they're you know they support entrepreneurship. So I think there's a lot you can do before just throwing it all away. Um, and I think testing and iterating at every stage is very important. So don't invest all your time and all your money into your first product launch or your first business because you need to learn from that and then still have money to reinvest once you've learned those lessons. So having a, a job, for example, is a great way to keep you know money coming in. Testing is one of those things where it's so important and anybody who's run their own business is like you have to learn from those lessons. But for entrepreneurs, I think testing is boring. So nobody wants to test. Yeah. They just want to get it happening and learn from their mistakes and just have everything you know, fall on their lap tomorrow. And you realise it's the same thing with every entrepreneurial story. It's a succession of different mistakes yeah. and learnings until five years down the track, ten years down the track, however many years down the track, you go, oh, I have all this accumulated knowledge. But sometimes I think people jump too early thinking that it's going to happen without that Yeah, phase. thinking they have the right answer. Like even now we're like, oh, let's do this. It's going to be amazing. And it's most of the time it doesn't turn out the way you expect. And mm. I think that's just part of the process. You mentioned hiring. In the early days of Shopo when things were building and you were doing things by yourself, you were doing everything at that stage, right? Yeah. yeah. And no surprises. I'm sure there was a bit of classic entrepreneurial burnout, which is the usual story with everyone who starts their own business. (laughs) What do you feel now about hiring? Are you one of those business owners who thinks I wish I'd hired sooner? Um, Yeah, I think at every stage that we've been hiring, I think we've been like really slow because, um, you know, we don't have investors. So money is really important for the sustainability of the business. We always wait until we really need that resource. So it wasn't until it got to the point where I was doing half of it or my um, general manager, Alex, was doing it that we started hiring. And then there's an opportunity cost to your time. And so there's the cost of us not working on other things was so much greater than actually hiring that person. And also the problem is then you're rushing that hire and you know we definitely made our fair share of like hiring mistakes um at the start and you know people always say hiring is like one of the trickiest things about um, starting a business and I still remember when I first heard people say I'm like no I don't know but you know you come to realize it's definitely but no one's ever going to work on your business as hard as you will you know, it's very hard to find good help. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, because you realise when you start to hire that there's a lot of people that want to shirk and don't care as much about working. And when- oh, and I think I've just like, I have a terrible mentality about this because back when I was working in corporate, I was so bludgeoned myself. <laughs> yes. So I kind of assumed that of other people. And I had colleagues that would go and watch a movie 
Oh, wow. During work, and then people were like, we had people falling asleep in the file room. So, anyway. That's wait. what scares me about those big companies because yeah. you're like, how do you know? You've got like thousands of employees. How do you know what everybody's doing every day? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But um, no, I think, and the thing is, at, at the end of the day, the reason why hiring is so difficult is because it's also so important because we have, otherwise, we have a pile of clothes that we, we sell just like all these other retailers. So, what has set us apart is the people that are in the business. I'm confident that if we got rid of the clothes and had this team to go and do something else, we'd be successful at it. I think hiring is so important, but and it, pretty much every entrepreneur I've ever heard speak has said they wish they'd hired sooner. But I don't know whether it's actually possible to avoid that inevitable nervous breakdown that every entrepreneur has, <laughs> because I feel like that is the point that you need to get to for you to realise I can't do this by myself. Yeah. And when you're not bringing money into the business, I had the same thing happen with my business. You can't justify spending money. Oh, absolutely. When you could do it yourself. So until you literally realize I am physically incapable of doing this without the help of somebody else, you're never going to dip into your pocket. Yeah. So, and the thing is, my first job was at McDonald's at $5.70 an hour. And then you're looking at $22 minimum wage and you're like, no, I can do this better on cheaper myself yeah and ultimately i think the thing i've learned is you know if you think you can do the best job at everything well for, well the thing is the difference now is there's definitely a lot of things i can't do better at but back then when it's you know packing orders and customer service and um steaming clothes i was like you know i can do this but the thing is you just need to get someone to do 80 percent of it because you even then 80% to your level, to your satisfaction, even then your time is better spent elsewhere. And what pushed me actually to hire my first staff in the office was that I had, I was going to go to Miami for Ultra Music. Um, and I planned this while the business wasn't going that well. Like it wouldn't have been that hard to f fulfill two online orders a day, like my mom could do it. <laughs> um, and then so the business was booming. We we're on like 70 or 90K a month. And my friend's like, no, you're not, you're not dogging this. And I was trying really hard to get out of it. And so I actually went and um, hired someone and that's when the business started growing into a scalable business rather than just like a side hustle kind of business and I so so I always say raving to a Skrillex is was a pivotal moment in Shobo's <laughs> growth journey. Um, you also started up the online community like-minded bitches drinking wine. Yeah. That's like grown massively. Yeah, it's like we've grown 68,000 members now. Yeah. What was the thinking behind that when you started it? So when we first started, it was um, Jen George and I. Her and I wanted to get together a group of girls um, to have dinner and just to like talk about work. I mean, I'm very lucky because I have people that I work, I can openly talk to, but I think a lot of other entrepreneurs don't um, and they they separate themselves from their team and so they don't have anyone to kind of celebrate their wins with and to just bitch and moan because the other thing is that your friends outside of work don't necessarily understand what you're going through so initially it was just 20 of us having dinner and then we had such a great time we're like okay well this is great why don't we just open this up more to the public and see if anyone else wants to join us. And that's why the the thing is, some people have prob a problem with the name. We were just kind of taking the piss. We're like, what should we call it? And we're like, well, we're looking for more like-minded bitches to drink wine with. And we're just like-minded bitches drinking wine. Let's just call it that. Kind of like celebrities in cars getting coffee. Like yeah. it's just a joke. We didn't think it would blow up the way it has. Because it's all been organic as well, it just really shows that there was a demand in the market for it, that people were looking for something like this. And I think there's a lot of great other um, women's networks out there, but I I think this is a great first step for people who are considering businesses I, I you know for me i feel like it's 
the, my best way of like getting what's the latest out there just mm. to kind of like get on those feeds. And we also have networking events. I think we've had it over 10 different countries. And it's also great just to feel like you have a community wherever you go as well. Jen went to Berlin and had a meet up with a local chat, like local the girls who are in chapter the church chapter. of the like-minded really bitches I know, just, well, <laughs> hey it is a church a for cult. some people that's it it's a cult that's sort of starting your own business thing particularly when you don't know anybody else in your life who's done that it's things like the language you know because you'll sit down and talk to people about opt-ins or email lists and other people are like what is that i don't mm. even know what those things are so i can't so your conversation is constantly stopped at a certain yeah. point where you're like okay well i'll just shut up and not talk about what i've been doing at all so it's really nice to have that community because it can be a lonely existence for some people starting their own business, especially if they've got no one around them that's ever done it before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also sometimes people are like uh, lack the confidence. And I think being in there and s- reading about other successful businesses also will build up your confidence, mm. seeing girls who are just like yourself. What are your plans for the future of the business? There's no solid plans right now. We, we've got our quarter goals and you know we've got our strategy for until 2020 but uh, the thing that we're all really passionate about is we've extended our size ranges and i know a lot of people say oh you should have done that in the first place but trust me it's not that easy to um offer more sizes because when you first start we're just a retail store so you're selling what other people give you and that size is 6 to 12 and you know we've gone through it took us a year to work with our factories to make our designs in from size 4 up to 20 um, which we want to extend even further as well and that's been really hard because you, first of all you need to build up your brand so you have enough eyeballs on on the website to have people to sell it to and working with the factories who don't tr- traditionally make those sizes has been difficult as well and I think it's just being able to sell to all sizes and to change Shopo as just a party dresses, like um, young store to one that will cater for all sizes and ages, just to, just to kind of like shift our brand. And I think it's it's been really great um, so far because the feedback has been amazing. I think a lot of people have found that they could be a size 18, for example, and they find that the designs that are currently out there are just mumsy, that you can't get something in the latest fashion print and that's what we want to offer we want girls of all sizes to be i know it sounds cheesy but to feel confident to feel sexy and i think that's what you know having the right dress will do for you that's awesome what advice finally what advice would you give for people wanting to start their own business i think you should just get out there do it don't invest and i say but don't invest too much because you know just keep in mind you could fail and once you've learned you want to have more money to invest because i think that's the only way you'll learn because you know i have a university degree i've done an entrepreneurship course and then i've had a failed business and having that failed business just shits on everything and i've had corporate experience so i've had i've done it all to kind of test out the different ways you can learn and grow yourself and i think the failed business is has been the best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody learns so much from failure because you realize, whoa, that's a hot pan. I'm not going to touch again. Yeah. And you learn about yourself. You learn about, yeah. Yeah. Jane, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Lady Startup. If you've enjoyed the show, then please jump in and give us a rating. We're brand new, we're fresh, and we need all the love we can get. You can head to Apple Podcasts to do that or wherever you listen to this show. And if you're listening to this podcast because you're a lady startup dreamer who wants one day to start their own business, or maybe you've already got a side hustle that you're whittling away at and you want to turn that into your day job, Lady Startup is about more than just this podcast. It is a movement and we want you to be a part of it. Head to 
Instagram to follow us at Lady Startups. That's startup with an S at the end. You can join our Facebook group and you can sign up for our free newsletter at ladystartup.com.au. We've got huge, huge plans in the next few months and they're going to include courses, events, toolkits, so many other things to help you with your business. So make sure you sign up at ladystartup.com.au to be the first to hear about everything. And join me next week for my chat with Sophie Gilead and Catherine Westwood, the founders of the home delivery meal service, The Dinner Ladies, as they talk about how they dodged a bullet when naming their company. Well, I wanted to call our business At Home because at the time the at thing was quite new. I know, I know, I know. It's so cool. We'll be so modern if we use that. And Sophie was sort of, yeah, I don't know. And I was like, no, it's really great. It's really cool. Thank God. I'll see you next week for that chat on Lady Startup.